0: Welcome to Don't Feed the Trolls, a podcast where we dish without the ish. I am Matt. And I'm
1: Nate. And today we're going to talk to our buddy Zach Gehring from the band May. You might remember the band May. Um, about a big part of the DIY movement, something Matt and I have
0: done many times, and that is crowdfunding. But first... First, we got some troll mail. Uh, Nate, you threw it out there the other week. You, you, you wanted to hear from maybe our youngest and our oldest listener, and I think we might have found the youngest... Which I feel a little bit weird about because I feel like now we have responsibility to speak to this person <laughs> and a little nicer. But he wrote us an email. Dear Matt and Nate, my name is James. I'm 16, maybe youngest listener. I live in Idaho. I discovered you through a small group leader at church and have listened to all your episodes since number four. Can you believe a small group leader at church would recommend us, Nate? Yeah. In Idaho? Funny. This guy, uh-huh. very progressive. Uh, I really credit you guys with getting me into podcasts. Might be Jake. It could be. <laughs> and I listen and I listen to over 30 now. I've grown up in a very conservative Christian household. Me too, man. And uh, over the past few months, I've really challenged myself to look beyond my presupposed ideas about politics, Christ, and life in America. Your podcast has really helped me think through my opinions and even change a few, even though I don't always agree with everything you guys say. I just wanted to say thank you guys for all your hard work and let you know that it is making a difference. Sincerely, James. P.S. I'm a Bigfoot believer. <laughs> <laughs> Nate loves go. that. Nate smiles. Everyone in Idaho should Nate be. Nate flags that's... every email we get from a Bigfoot believer. I didn't flag that As one. That proof. Was just, yeah, well, uh, I'm really encouraged by that. That's awesome, man. Like, We don't want everyone to agree. We want you guys to argue with us and send us your emails. Um, but we also love when people are open to... To new ideas and it sounds like James at a young age very precocious is open to challenging some of those preconceptions in his life so that's awesome
1: yeah yeah it makes you feel bad for dropping the F-bomb every once in a uh, while man.
0: you know he's a big boy he'll he'll get over it <laughs> I
1: know I'm 36 years old and I still feel bad about dropping the, <laughs> dropping the F-bomb so
0: it doesn't ever you don't ever grow out of that, that
1: conservative guilt
0: when you cross the lines vocabulary wise that kickback shame that comes immediately <laughs> yeah, even though it's
1: even though we always drop them as exclamations
0: to a story <laughs> or a point. Sure.
1: And it's when you should use them. Right. And we use them right and yeah. yet we still feel guilty
0: about it. But uh It's a hard hard habit to kick.
1: Speaking of feeling guilty, we're gonna make you all you listeners out there feel real guilty right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sucker
1: you into backing our podcast on Patreon.
0: Yeah, patreon.com slash don't feed the trolls, I believe it's called. I I think that's the name of our podcast. Uh, We want to welcome a couple patrons this week. Uh, Michael Pollack has increased his pledge, so thank you. And Michael Farbach is back, Um, which I think he pledged before, but then he came back around. I don't know. Just want to thank you guys for uh, supporting the show and uh, taking care of us, and we hope that we can bring you some awesome exclusive content. If you guys haven't checked out our Patreon, go do it. we got a bunch of extra bonus goodies up there. As well as a so many completely different podcast called Troll Talk, where Nate and I just kind of shoot the breeze. So uh, definitely check that out. Yeah. Topic of the day. There's
1: a lot to talk about, so we don't have to dilly-dally for too right. long because we had a great talk with Zach. We
0: did so. have a great talk with Zach. Zach wrote his master thesis on crowdfunding and how it changes the relationship between artist and fan. And uh, it was really intriguing stuff, stuff I'd never even I've done you know a ton of crowdfunds for classic crime and for BC music. And I didn't think about a number of these things and how the dynamic had changed. And so it was really uh, thought-provoking. I really appreciated Zach's insights, and we think you guys will too. So listen on and we'll welcome Zach to the podcast.. I've been waiting
2: for
1: Welcome to the show, Zach Gehring, guitarist for the band May. Who recently uh, you did your senior thesis on crowdfunding, which I participated in. And Zach, you're kind of like Matt, where you're not shy when it comes to expressing your views on Facebook, which makes you a great guest. Uh, so uh, I guess I can start off by saying, why did you uh, ask you? Sorry, why did you do your senior thesis on crowdfunding?
2: Um, I, I. I got my master's, I did my, my it was a master's thesis. Master's but, thesis, yeah. sorry. i just got to um, clarify, and yeah. I did it because, um, well, I, I grew up playing music, you know, when I was in high school, and when I was in college, and before I quit college initially to, to, to play music full-time, I was touring during the summertime, and I was using my own money with the band that I was in, um, and so I came up in one culture. Um. I'm 35, so you know this is probably late 90s, early 2000s. You know, um, and we were using our money to do this. We we're everything was self-funded, yeah. Um, whether it be through parents' money, um, work money, playing shows, what have you. And so, crowdfunding things started happening, and it was just really interesting because I didn't know how I felt about it. I, I like the the initial reaction for me was kind of. I guess the best word would be suspect, kind of suspicious. Yeah. Um, But it wasn't obviously outright, you know, kind of reaction against. It was just, this is kind of a weird thing. Um, And so I started to look into it more, and I I started to have just more questions. And um, when I was doing my undergrad, I was getting my philosophy degree in undergrad, and I did like a Marxist critique on crowdfunding. (laughs) Um, a
0: Marxist yeah. critique of crowdfunding.
2: Yes, and it was really bad. It was like for um, a 300 level comm course, and I was relatively unfamiliar with you know heavy Marxism. It was just kind of this thing I wanted to try. I wanted to try, and I did. You know, and <clears throat> I went to a professor afterward, and I, I told him about what I wanted, uh, this idea I had, and then he offered to co-author an article with me. Um, for like a, like an academic journal. And that was something I was interested in. And I knew that it was a, a steep learning curve, uh, especially for me. And, uh, so we helped. And so we kind of developed this, um, article together. And, um, so that's kind of how my interest started. It, it was just more of an assignment I had, uh, plus this kind of personal experience I had, um, in the music industry. And, Beyond that, you know, I just started working on it as a thesis because there was not much critical work on crowdfunding. And that was kind of what I was interested in doing is kind of a, there's a lot of uncritical, just kind of like yeah. exploration of crowdfunding, um, especially in the business world, like um, marketing and business courses. So all the journal, all the articles I would look up were all just kind of like this, these kind of opportunities, you know, entrepreneurialism, yeah. things like that. But for me... I experienced it from a different kind of perspective and I wasn't seeing much scholarship on that.
1: So it sounded like, it sounded like you were a little bit suspect going into this. How
2: How do you feel after? After I'm, I still feel suspect. Um, I'm still just kind of like middle of the road. and I think it's a case by case basis. Um, so, you know, my, my thesis just looked at specifically how crowdfunding, um, might alter the fan artist relationship. Um, Huh. And I think I we we've all played in, in bands in the in the indie scene so to speak we all like kind of cut our teeth on the road yeah. um and we we understand we have a, a a valued understanding of of this kind of dynamic right between yeah. the fans that like started coming to see us when we were just starting out versus these fans that stuck with us and then these new fans we we are you know fortunate enough to acquire from working super hard um and I thought that this was novel in one sense, but at the same time, there is a vulnerability that was kind of built into the infrastructure of these crowdfunding sites, which is lack of oversight. And there's also this, um, these values at work that are able to be exploited if you're an artist. So all that to say, I was interested in how the, the fan-artist relationship might develop I was interested in the vulnerabilities that might be inherent in this kind of relationship. But within that perspective, I was looking at the, the artist side of it because there's fan engagement, which is one of these things where you just say, okay, well, of course I like this band and I'll give 10 bucks, I'll give 20 bucks, you know, to see what happens. It's just a good faith thing, you know, and this yeah. faith has built up over years and um, and so I, I started to see this idea being translated in a way that I thought was disingenuous. I thought that it was potentially manipulative. I thought the value systems got really screwed. Um, Are you
0: talking about specifically when it came to bands who like maybe asked for things that they never planned on or intended to fulfill? Uh, that sort of like uh, exploiting trust of, of their fan bases.
2: That happens, and, and for me, it wasn't. I wasn't trying to. Uh, investigate that because um, I think right. those are easy ethical breaches right there's really no way around my my interest is more if you're you know I grew up paying 15 bucks 20 bucks for a CD I, I grew up paying like 20 bucks for a show I saw Dave Bazan do a house show for like 15 bucks but on crowdfunding I would see and this is I don't know if any of you crowdfunded i have personal friends that are crowdfunded. so i'm i'm doing i'm, I'm i want to say i'm going to say things that that some of my friends might be guilty of but um oh we're it's both not, we're both guilty no i mean I, i've <laughs> crowdfunded my, my own project so okay um it's not about like you shouldn't crowd. it's just like how do you how do you use this in a way that's going to reward your fans in the most legitimate way right right so you have people that will say um Oh, I will play a house show for you if you give me $2,000 and pay my flight out. So to me, yeah. that's, that's egregious. Um, right. Basically, because I know that, I mean, I've seen one of my favorite artists of all time for 15 bucks down the road, you know? And so I'm not saying that you can't ask for more than whatever, but if I, I'm also saying that, look, I know that this doesn't cost you this much money. And yeah. I know if you're willing want to get out there and play, then you might just ask for cost to get out and play for free or I right. just ask for 200 bucks, you know, or a place to stay while you are out there.
0: So the Marxist uh, critique would be that's like ga- price gouging. Yeah, it's just uh, it, profiteering or but then on the other side, I mean, <clears throat> if you're making a critique that's based on price then that varies based on what people are willing to pay for it. If it's a cr- critique based on principle, then that's completely different, right? Because it's more like, based on.
2: Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. I feel like I'm following your question, and correct me if I, I, I answer incorrectly. But and in that sense, okay. So you have this approach that says, okay. Um, number one, there's this philosophy going into this idea. If the fans, these fans, are giving freely, right? They're not being um, like coerced. forced coerced into paying, right. you know, offering this money, right? Um, so, there's one approach that says, well, let's see what we can get. Let's ask for this much. If we don't get it, we don't get it. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, I just think that's a backwards approach. Because, sure. on the other hand, um, if we're going to speak about this kind of dependency, this urgent dependence on fan donations, you know, then… right. There's there's larger economic and industrial constraints and contingencies at play at um, in recent years, right? You have this kind of dismantling of the industry and, and the new media technologies we have. Um, so there, and one way it enables artists to do things more liberally without these kind of without relying on these third parties that have traditionally exploited artists, right? So there's that. Right. There's that thing. But then there's other side of it where the artists can now
0: they set the market price, right? Market. No,
2: and yeah. I think because of these narratives that, that, that can be employed, right? Because you can say, this is my dream and I need to do this. And I can't do this without you. And I'm earnest. And you, you know, they, they kind of play on these tropes that have been around in music for a very long time. This sure. is, these are not new tropes. Like you have this kind of, that's kind of like the underlying framework of the whole Indian punk rock scene that I came from is like, okay, well, this is a mutually invest, this is a mutual investment for us. Right. Right. And so that kind of idea is used in, in the sense of we're creating narratives and then it's employed in a certain way that actually, I would argue, can disempower the fan more so because the fan really has no easy legal recourse. Yeah. Right. To, to come to artists that they feel have, have, um, you know, done them wrong in some sense. And these things are very subjective, right? So I'm looking at genre, because in the indie genre, it's different than the hip hop genre and the country genre. So there's a lot of things that are in play. And so I'm not trying to generalize at all. I'm just saying that in my experience... I see this thing happening and it's turning out this way.
0: There are problems within it. Yeah, that need to be addressed for sure.
2: And there's also, you know, if a crowdfunding campaign just goes out and and it does well, then that's great. You know, I think that fans do feel more involved. But at the same time, I mean, let's be honest, we're asking, I mean, when I say we, I mean the artists, we're asking for money to do something we want to do. And we don't really have any intention of letting these fans. And too much in the creative aspect of things or in terms of what we're going to do with this, with our product, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of thing where we're, inv- we're asking them for money to do something, but we're telling them these things and we're saying these things that are very kind of saccharine and very sweet and very just kind of like, they, that, that turns me off.
0: Right, so that we can't do it without you and I need this specific amount and like, mm-hmm. and only and you the- can make it happen.
2: And then we get into the amounts where I do see uh, upwards of two or three thousand dollars for certain things that I know don't cost that much. And I know that there's this yeah. so there's this kind of like opportunistic approach to, right. to these campaigns.
1: Yeah, a couple of crowdfunding things come to mind. Like Isley got kind of in trouble because I think in two thousand thirteen they asked for a hundred thousand dollars to just have a tour bus to open up for say anything and Yep, I remember that fans went crazy and totally butchered them and then they kind of like didn't hit their goal and it kind of yeah. fell off but but now you even have things crazier like I just I emailed this girl to try to get her on the show to talk about this but uh she raised thirty thousand dollars on goFundMe because her parents didn't support the fact that she had a black boyfriend mm-hmm. yeah so she's raised over thirty thousand dollars just for college and so she doesn't have to give people anything it's just Feel bad. That's
0: GoFundMe. Yeah, GoFundMe's are the, are kind of the worst because there's no exchange
2: yes. of
0: goods or services. But at the same time, it that goes to show how much uh, emotion, like you were saying, are, go into these things. Um, you know, whether negative or positive, how much it appeals to uh, some sort of emotional need or desire, um, and and then how much the language is kind of provoking those emotions.
2: Well, you know, when I was looking at crowdfunding campaigns, during the research. Um, you, you see this, you see similar themes from artist to artist, and this is this theme of passion, um, this idea of dreams, um, yeah. this idea of dependency, this idea of involvement, participation. Um, I mean, on our end, we understand what executive producer means and producer means, yeah. right? Right. Do fans understand that? Maybe, maybe not, depends on who you're asking, but to charge. Any amount of money to get a title on a record, that's something that for me, like, yes, the fan might enjoy that, you know, but for me, like, I just don't like...
0: Is everything for sale, right? Yeah, Is I mean, credit a, for
2: sale? So, you know, I, it's just this thing where it happens within this context of neoliberalism It's kind of really this this ideology that encourages and kind of enshrines this idea of entrepreneurial work. We're going to do it right. ourselves. On the other hand, it, it's a lot of work for the artist if they do try to come through um, on everything they said, and I think generally artists do try to come through their their goodwilled. You know, so even if artists do ask for like a lot of money, that I don't think I agree with. I don't think they're doing this out of um, you know. I would just say that it's a lot of work to do a crowdfunding campaign. Oh, yeah. so Iron yeah. seeing crowdfunding consultants is is beyond me because like you're paying for someone you don't you're, you don't have the money to do a project, but you're going to pay for someone to help you do it. Um, no, I, right. That is just a lot of work. Um, A lot of the things that labels used to handle, they don't handle anymore. So if you take things on by yourself, you have to. It's a full-time job, and there's things that you can quantify or or commodify, I I should say. And there's things that maybe you can't, um, but I think uh, that you start seeing a commodification of things that should not be commodified, in my opinion. Right. Yeah,
0: so, I mean, I wonder if you, did you get into the critique of maybe the, in the fan and artist relationship, um, maybe, maybe the fact that you tear up these exclusive packages to, like, higher, higher dollar amounts, you get more and more exclusive, more and more access to the artist, um, was there anything in your, in your critique that spoke about maybe the, um... People who have financial means being able to get access to the artist, as opposed to, you know, that that original indie DIY scene where it was like you were you were there first. And regardless if you're wealthy or not, like we always provide for our original fans. No, I mean I did
2: know? not go that angle in that critique, but that just goes to show. I mean, that's a valid approach to take, where you can say, okay, well, we're prioritizing what we're we're, we're rewarding. Not devotion. We're rewarding the ability to to express that devotion financially, and that's not something right. that one can do. I mean, yeah. there's um between uh, myself and and Dave, the uh, singer of May, we both crowdfunded, and there's one um, particular uh, fan of ours that you know my get that that gave substantially to both campaigns, and um, I just think he has these means to do so, and that's right. That's how he expresses. His fanship are one of the ways he comes to shows. He's a cool guy, you know, but you have this kind of tearing that reflects certain things right. that people don't have control over. Um, so, or I guess so directly. So it sounds right. like
1: I think anyone who hasn't done a crowdfund or isn't in a band, just to kind of speak to people who are kind of in the middle who haven't done any, either side of this, it is hard on both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a fan and you give 35 bucks and then you have to wait, maybe sometimes a year before you get anything back and if you're the artist i know fulfilling all this stuff is impossible and and so many like i think i did one for a solo album and i think i lost money on everything
2: no super hard uh, oh, yeah, like, <laughs> you both ends. and you know yeah. i think fans are really forgiving you know in, in the case of isley i think they just at the time maybe crowdfunding was becoming this thing that people are, are used to and so they're kind of seeing yeah. certain account or certain campaigns go one way versus the other um but I think that fans are generally pretty forgiving um, in terms of how long you might take to to um, reward send those perks out based on what the schedule you kind of put forth initially. Yeah, as
0: long as you're you're upfront and
2: communicative. Yes, uh, exactly. I think communication. Yeah. Like-
0: but it doesn't even matter how much you communicate because,
1: like, I did a record in 2012, and I'm and I'm still getting emails from Kickstarter, like so and so filled out their. Backer report. to f- four years later,
0: I, I I'm very upfront about telling people if you're if because I hunt people down. There's people who basically I chase down for like six months to get them to fill out their survey. And if they don't fill it out, I'm very upfront about saying like you didn't fill it out in time, and I'm not sending you anything <laughs> because I worked really hard yeah. to get to. I looked I look up people on Facebook. I I message them from my personal profile, friend them if I haven't yet. And so I I work really, really hard to get people their stuff. And if they get back back to me four years later, it's way out of the range of... Yeah, of uh, of what I'm willing to uh, to fulfill, and I think people know that. I think people know that now. They know they kind of screwed up. So you know, if it's something where it's like they 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 need to change their address or whatever, and it's all within a reasonable time frame, I'll help out. But I kind of
1: want to understand more what you're what you're trying to get to because I think that's the more interesting part of this uh, conversation. So like let's let's use those two examples that I threw out. This girl, Allie, her parents disown her. She's 18 years old. People just give her thirty thousand dollars. It's almost like she can't really be held like responsible for like doing something lame because she just put it out there and people gave her money versus Isley who is kind of exploiting their fans' emotions. Hey, we have kids. We can't really tour anymore. But if you really want to see us give us a hundred grand and we'll come to your town, maybe.
2: No, I think
1: are you saying Isley's kind of more at fault than this girl?
2: Well, um first I mean I think GoFundMe is an entirely different platform. And I think we're also dealing with someone yeah. who's asking for money more in a direct a charity type of way, yeah. Versus Isley, who are kind of engaging. But it kind of
1: sounds like charity if you read I, what Isley wrote for their crowd. That's the thing,
2: but Isley's a, a band, and we know that Isley has had moderate success yeah. as a band. We know that um, they're they're choosing to tour a certain way that's not necessary, which is a thing. Is a big deal. Tour bus.
1: Yeah, for people who don't know, a tour bus costs about a thousand dollars a day, no
2: matter yeah, what. Yeah, I mean, the last few tours may have done um, just van and trailer, and we were in a bus before, and so like there's just things you adapt to to save money, um, and just uh, embrace the reality of your economic situation at the time, you know. Um, and with with the Isley case, and I think with with bands and art in general, um, you're engaging certain rhetoric that has a lineage and what i mean by that is um art has always has had a special place in people's their own lives right so it's a very powerful thing and people are prone to respond in a way um i mean fans you think about the fans uh the the bands you're fans of or or, or, yeah. the band, or fans that you have of uh, the bands that you've been in i mean it's a powerful thing and i think that with crowdfunding, it just becomes super deli- delicate because you're you're asking you're taking control of the range. There's one thing is a good thing, right? So you don't have to rely on a label, but that removes that that third man that you can easily place blame on. I mean, when you think about <laughs> um, the structure of the industry before, like, look, it's the labels, the manager. I mean, I know I'm sorry, right. I go, I can't do this. The band, the, the, you know, you have a structure that allows for this kind of negotiation between quote-unquote authenticity, which I think is a bad word or at least a problematic term um, uh, of the artist versus this monolith in which they have to work in order to bring the fans what they want. Right? Right, So now since the labels have just kind of like been radically kind of restructured in terms of how they work um, it gives the artist more freedom. You know, I'm going to put this song up by myself and I'm going to put it on SoundCloud and I'm going to do this. So there's a lot of new liberties in there, but it it puts a direct, you you bring the fan in in a very direct sense that they weren't a part of before. And so you are engaging a a certain relationship and, and and, um, exploiting. And I don't mean that in like the intentional negative sense. I think you just, you're utilizing the relationship um, for a certain end and that end, um, you know, like, okay, let's say I do crowdfund and let's say I raise the money to record and mix and master all on crowdfunding back, you know, And then I signed to a label with the record that they funded, and that deal includes points, obviously, for the label, but the fans don't get any of that kickback that maybe if the record is successful, right? Now we could say, okay, well, you know, that's not my responsibility. The fans knew what was going on. Yes, you know, of course. But I just think there's... Crowdfunding has been, it's kind of been normalized and once I think people just kind of crowdfund. You know, I think it's just like, it's one of the first things you think of maybe these days in terms of how to fund a project. Yep. Um, but,
1: but now there's equity crowdfunding. So people are trying equity, to,
2: which is a big deal, you yeah. know, what le- they're, they're financializing it. They're kind of getting legislation involved.
0: Yeah. See C- seed invest. I just got this thing. I, I bought some jeans through like Instagram and they sent me a, like some seed invest, uh, Equity thing where you can buy stocks pre-IPO or whatever. Weird.
2: Like that's that's the learning situation. Like I, I don't have that kind of knowledge, even know what that really means. Right. Um, and that I have been reading. I read an article the other day about how this is kind of causing some kind of confusion. There's like no, there's not f- sufficient oversight for these kind of um, equity buy-ins. Yeah. Um, so go back to the GoFundMe thing. I mean, when Michael Brown was shot in Ferguson, um, supporters of Uh, I forget the the cop's name, Wilson, Darren Wilson, started a GoFundMe campaign to pay for his legal fees, so to speak. And then Michael Brown's family uh, started one to pay for his funeral fees or or, or associated costs. And so now we're getting into this kind of political, pseudo-political situation where in one sense these are political opinions and social issues expressed through this website. Well, at the same time, the website really offers no recourse. You know, there's questions of the legality of actually using uh, crowdfunding private funds to pay for an officer's legal fees. So there's these, it becomes like a, um, a stage of performance. Um, in one sense, you have this money being transferred that really is not going anywhere. I mean, there are articles that kind of tried to trace where the money was actually going for the Darren Wilson funding, and they couldn't really find it. It was kind of linked to various organizations. Uh, right. So there's a lot of issues. I mean, GoFundMe is an entirely different beast because uh, I think, like you said, Nate, um, there's really, you don't have to give money back. It's just asking for money. People are asking for right. money for college. People are asking money for doctor's fees. So it really reflects a lot of things.
1: But I even seen him, like, the weird thing is when it goes, like, third party, when, like, Like I saw this one where this guy walked to work every day, ten miles, and then somebody found out about it and started their own GoFundMe for this guy. And then next thing you know, he raises two hundred fifty thousand dollars because he walks to work every day. Yeah. And now this guy's, (laughs) you know, this guy's like, "Is this my money? Is it coming to me?" And then what do I do? I have two hundred fifty thousand dollars that I'm now accountable for. I got to pay taxes
0: on, and ruin people's life with all that money. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, I, exactly like these questions are raised, and um, I haven't really seen much about it lately. I saw um, an article today about scams through crowdfunding. I also see a lot of academic research being crowdfunded. I did a, uh, yeah. a short kind of uh, field question for a website at, at, when I was doing my studies. and um, you know, you have this one thing where well, let's crowdfund academic research, but what does that reflect? It reflects the fact that grant money is really hard to come by. Um, and so maybe if crowdfunding for academic research takes off, then the states and the federal government might say, okay, well, there's less need for academic research funding, which is a right. problem uh, because there's a lot of um, hmm, hmm. infrastructure built into these to, to this kind of rigorous vetting of academic research that you don't have right. when you crowdfund right. because it goes private. Um and so, you know, there's a lot of these things that are just come questions up in the air right now with crowdfunding. Well, I
1: want to say it becomes a burden, too. Like, I get emails every year from Wikipedia, like, we really need you to donate because, you know. If like, not. If not, there's
2: no more Wikipedia and you're going and you're you're kind to of like, we'll lose it, right? We're yeah. not going to be able to do this anymore.
0: I'm in a band called The Classic Crime. We, we were on Tooth & Nail Records, same record label. Yeah. as you guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we kind of, we parted ways with a label in, in 2010. And in 2011, it seemed like crowdfunding was kind of taken off. I think I, me- I remember seeing the Five Iron Frenzy one, um, which they got like $200,000, mm-hmm. um, you know, which seemed super driven by nostalgia and yeah. all that. But it seemed like once the crowdsourcing systems were in place, once Kickstarter was there, people seemed to flock to support the the campaigns and the products they cared about. I mean this is before, you know, there was issues of like, oh wait, I never got my CD, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but it just seemed like people were all about it, all about like getting rid of the middleman and kind of being that direct to fan having that relationship. So we did it and we asked for uh $30,000, uh-huh. which uh, a lot of people were like that's a ton of money but we thought it was less than half of what we would get for a record yeah. to do a record on Tooth and Nail. So we figured we could do it for less than half of what the label would would put up as far as a budget goes. And there was there was no problems because in 24 hours we sold enough packages to meet that goal. Okay. So as soon as we came out we sold enough packages to meet that goal and it was like, "Oh my gosh." And then suddenly, it, and this is t- 2011, it kind of blew up on online as like a like a story, like like this band overnight, you know, raised 30 grand. And then there was, like, a backlash of people who didn't know about us and weren't fans of us, but were, like, who are these people who think that they need $30,000 to make a record? I can make a record in my cousin's basement for 100 bucks, You know, and and so, like, everybody was weighing in critique, and we got, like, trolled super hard on our Facebook page by, like, people who thought, like, music should be free. It was, like, more like an East Coast underground podcast. Uh, Pop punk scene that was like you just you burn CDs you give them out like that's that's the scene and I'm like I'm sorry I'm not from that scene I'm I don't know the code of ethics I've never that's agreed un- to that's that that's unrealistic
2: honestly you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah but. Yeah, no, it, I lost sleep over. I lost sleep over, like, what should have been a celebration. huge shot in the arm because we thought our band was over. We were, we were like, this is going to be our last record. Mm-hmm. We'll just do it. If we can raise this, we can take the time off work, we can put it out, fill all the packages. Well, we ended up raising 86 grand on the crowdfund, which uh, seemed, seems like a lot of money. But then, of course, you know, half that goes to fulfilling and manufacturing and the vinyl and everything. It's like, it. everything's like a $10,000 chunk. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, and then everyone was like, well, what are you going to pay yourselves? And I'm like, well, nothing, because I feel obligated that everybody gave this money to like make this product. So I, you know, I got like Ted Jensen from like Sterling Sound in New York who mastered the Eagles to master it, you know, cause I'm just like, well, I got to spend the money on the record. So when it was all said and done, and we, and we like, we, we, we physically shipped everything ourselves. We mm. packed everything up ourselves. Like I was very intentional about making sure that like everything was done right. Yeah. And, um, and it was overall, it ended up being a really, uh, rewarding and fun and hard, but like good experience. And the fans seemed to be really into it. And mm. the band was like, wow, it looks like we can do this. Like, and, and, and my worry was, Maybe crowdfunding isn't like a long term thing, but right now, like, as long as it's working, we can make records. Yeah. And it seems like people love this exchange. Yeah. Uh, but
1: you might have an odd a problem when like, you know, your Five Iron Frenzy and all of a sudden two hundred thousand dollars rolls in and then the band members start fighting, like, hey, where's this money go? Who gets this money? Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Well I mean Yeah, I say the record budget gets the money. Nobody takes it. Yeah, but it.
1: Five Iron Frenzy's not gonna spend two hundred thousand dollars on an album. They're just <laughs> if they do, they're just not very smart. So <laughs>
0: Be the best-sounding Five Iron Frenzy
1: <laughs> record ever. <laughs> um, Tom Lord Algae mixes the new Five Iron Frenzy.
2: The, you know, well, it's funny because you mentioned the, the problem of too much money. I mean, I think that's a problem that Amanda Palmer ran into, that she was obviously yeah. kind of like a groundbreaking, notorious case study for crowdfunding. Did she
1: raised like a million dollars.
2: Yeah, and she was asked for like 500000 which number one is you know right. a lot, and then she made like a million bucks, and um, she got a lot of heat for it. Um, But I think, you know, Matt, you you bring up a good point. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, look, if you're crowdfunding and this this exchange involves your fans and what you want to do, I mean, that's a a focus that needs to be retained. Um, And I think when you talk about um, this kind of obligation you feel, whether or not that was aggravated by what you were seeing people troll you with and maybe you felt – this is me projecting entirely, so don't think I'm trying to read into you. No, no, no. But, I'm, I'm reading it. But maybe it. you felt – you did start to feel guilty. Maybe this stuff kind of – I like, did. Yeah. 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 You no, know, And so you started doing this thing where – I
1: think everyone who does one feels guilty. In you start,
0: well, no. I felt like it, it was so successful so fast. I was not expecting that. I was expecting it was going to go 30 days, and we were just going to creep over our, our, our edge at the end. And then we were going to just fulfill this smaller thing. It ended up being three times what we – asked for and yeah. I was like I, I I can't stop it it's yeah. like I, it goes for 30 days it's like people keep buying packages and I feel like like people hate me because other people are bu- I'm not holding a gun to their head they just keep doing yeah. it yes yeah. so <laughs> and
2: I, you know but I think that can kind of facilitate or, or nurture this kind of new a new kind of um, engagement uh with your fans and new kind of um you know hands-on because you said you kind of like you guys did it yourself you literally shit that stuff out and package it up I mean so, in one sense, like you get this kind of like Discord vibe, right? So now, all of a sudden, all here, here we are, like packing this up, up ourselves. So, these kind I don't know, that's why I think it's so interesting because you have these, these conflicts and these things in flux and you have the opinions of, of people that say, oh, well, you know, they should crowdfund for this. But once they ask for that, it's weird. And, well,
0: right. Someone was so mad. Someone, one of the trolls was so mad because basically we tiered up like i tried to make the 50 dollars package the most appealing like that's mm-hmm. the one you get your name in the album liner notes and yeah you get the t-shirt and the cd and the early download and like all the stuff for 50 bucks because mm-hmm. i figured like that that should be that that's like affordable for everybody and it's like i wanted to make it the coolest package and then up from there i went to like to hundred bucks we're going to do like a limited pressing of vinyl and it includes everything in the 50 bucks plus something else plus vinyl and someone was so mad that like it was their interpretation of that was you're asking a hundred dollars for vinyl. And I'm like, no, that's just the package that it comes in. Is it, is there's also six other things in that package. yeah, but like but they were like, vinyl should be no more than twenty five bucks, you know and they they were like angry about that. And so it was just so weird to have this like you know in one sense, we were like super elated mm. that like people cared enough to support our band so much in twenty four hours. And then the backlash happened, and I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, I felt like physically threatened. But Matt, you're, you know, what's funny is you're like kind of
1: a purist when it comes to crowdfunding because you feel like you have a different set of rules. You feel like all the money raised in the crowdfund should go directly to the project. None of it should yeah. go in your pot and your pocket. Whereas some well, people yeah, would say, I mean, if you "Look, work in, you got you, you got to make hours. something to pay for your hours to do the work." To
0: yeah, you know, your marketing you guy at the was going to
1: get paid a salary to market your album. Why can't you?
0: Right. Well, if you're putting hours in, yeah, you 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 log your hours. I've done that. Our second one, we did a like an acoustic ten year anniversary album where we did a bunch of our old songs um, acoustically. And we asked for fifteen because I was like, well, it's acoustic. you know, I'm gonna record this in my own studio, um get other people to mix it and stuff, but like I want to take my time, take six months, do this thing cool, get strings, piano, everything that we don't normally have as a rock band. And uh, we asked for fifteen, and then we we raised fifty. And so I was like, crap. Well, now, I'm like stuck here doing, making sure that this acoustic album is like the best sounding acoustic album ever, uh, because it was just a lot of pressure. Um, but one of the things I want to ask you, uh, Zach about this, one of the things I was worried about, and we just did our third one, uh, last May, um, because I don't know what else to do and it seems to work, but, uh, we did our third one and I was thinking, is this still going to be a thing? Like, I feel like, at some point, the you know the heat has to die off, um, or people have to be over it, or roll their eyes at it. I mean, it just that just happens with with different marketplaces and such. Um, it's even happening with like Craigslist. People are like, "Yeah, I don't want to use Craigslist anymore," or whatever. But uh, but then we do it, and we do it on Kickstarter again. So we have all our kind of built-in uh, fans. Fans are built in; they have their accounts there, and we asked for thirty again, like we did on the first one, and we raised. $99,000, which is basically like 15 grand more than the first one okay, and on. about 500 more backers.
2: You've done, you've done three crowdfunding projects, three. Yeah. And each time, the first time was what you raised it. First time
0: was a first time was 86, which was like 285%. Uh, the second time was over 300% cause it was 50 on 15 asked. For the acoustic record, and the third time we asked for thirty, and we got ninety-nine, which was yeah, that percentage is percentage-wise not as big, but it's like that's a, it was that's, huge, yeah.
2: That's that's insane. Um, so I mean, to your question, uh, in in terms of your the, your band, Classic Crime, I mean, obviously that doesn't seem to be showing the signs of of um letting up. I think that you know is it becoming this thing where it's the way records are funded, right? Is this You know, maybe so. I mean, maybe I, I, you know, I don't really know how the industry works on the official side anymore. I've been, you know, (laughs) none of us do. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I couldn't really say how it works there. But what I did with my study was a speculative critique. Right. I I did interview some artists and I tried to get their, their take on it. Um, but when it comes down to this, this exchange, I mean, w- what I think is most important is what it does to your your relationship with your fans and how this kind of trans- yeah,
0: I felt like the dynamic changed pretty dramatically from from one of like a bit of mystery maybe to to just more like hey here I am packing yeah. things up in my garage yeah
1: I was going to ask you that uh, question Zach like and I use m- a movie metaphors a lot on this podcast to explain my questions good deal. It kind of feels like once you crowdfund, you step off the field of dreams and you just go back to being the normal guy. You know what I mean? Like... Before you're on the baseball field and you're this legend, and it's like, oh my gosh, that's 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 Shoeless Joe Jackson, and then he steps off well, the field and he's just this dentist, and you're like,
0: and that's why I feel uh, like it, it it sort of goes along the principles of, of of social media because people want to follow people on Twitter because they see their vulnerabilities, their misspell[s], their errors, their humanity, right? And that's kind of like crowdfunding. I think that's the appeal, at least is that it's uh it's it's slightly adorable. It takes the artist off the stage and into your living room, you know, with struggles, financial struggles are, are even sort of adorable. Like, oh, they can't make yeah. it well I can I can spend twenty bucks and, and help them make it. But then what you're saying is and I've seen this happen with massive like metal bands who like have tons more likes on Facebook than my band. And they do a a, a Kickstarter and it just they can't raise anything. Uh because they have this propped up projected, you know, ideal image of themselves that they're, that they're, that they're extremely wealthy or, or important or on this pedestal and people see them coming with their hands out with a crowdfunding campaign. They're like, whatever dudes, like, you know, you're just greedy, well, you know, but that's
2: we- where genre comes into the picture, you know, cause right. with the indie scene, I think there is, there's all, is always been built on this more kind of uh, there's a sentimentality to it. Um, there is a directness to it where you used to go to shows at VFW halls and yeah, there was right. no backstage. Like, this kind of...
0: You just mingle, yeah. you just it's, it's a community of, of artists and fans kind of. Yeah,
2: I, I do think that crowdfunding can, can translate that. And um, I, I just really think that there's a lot of space for this kind of... Um, manipulation
1: to occur That is interesting that like sometimes it feels like the VFW hall like the Vagrant Records band and help them get to the next town and then sometimes it feels manipulative like Yeah. And like I think this metal band shouldn't be asking for money they were millionaires you know.
2: How it, Yeah. how it plays out on the flip side too like when it, when it's done I mean in in the case of classic crime if you guys are continually successful then i it can only mean that you're doing something uh correct with your fans.
0: Right, I'm exchanging goods for money, services or and goods for money that that and people think it's a good deal. Yeah, I mean, which is the, me- the thing that I'm mostly concerned about. Well, here because if people think, then that's the stress I think in my mind too is that. If I don't make a great record and I'm, you know, principal songwriter and the guy recording a lot of stuff, so it's just a lot on my plate. If I don't make a good record, they won't come back next time. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be like, "Nah, the last one sucked." And that is completely subjective. So it's so much more pressure because I have to make something that I like that I think they like. I, and people are like, "Do you like not being on the label, and then they're not telling you what to do?" I was like, "The label never told me what to do. I feel yeah. way more pressure now." Yeah, um, because a, I have yeah. people's money before I even make. Well, it, you definitely,
1: you, know, you definitely appreciate done. record labels after you do a crowdfund All, all, all across, the you're like, "Oh."
2: With me, I'd almost rather do it on a record label now. Um, yeah, that was my point. The, the pre-order. What what this is like? We we get inside. This is you know, this is a pre-order, right? Right. And and, and I think that. The campaign link, which should be this kind of idea, like, look, this is going to be a pre-order. And I right. think, um, it, it becomes, it becomes a normalized exchange between the fans and the band. So I'm assuming right. that, that you and your fans, you have consistent backers. Like, and the since that, that you have a level of engaged fan that you can rely on. And in that sense, like you said, um, those are the only people i care about and i have faith that those people like what i do and so right. the, the ambition shifts um so you're not really trying to build a fan base anymore yeah you're, you're not opposed maintain to maintain it yeah
0: no i'm not against it yeah, yeah but
2: it's not like this direct kind of effort within these campaigns to build um a fan base um, are you guys right. touring still
0: we do like two weeks, yep. maybe once or twice a year. Kind of we just, yeah, guys take time off work and we yeah, that, we'll do West Coast and then I, East Coast. I think that's what happens
2: like with bands is they kind of, <laughs> we made it the same yeah. thing. It's like, oh, let's do like what a week or two. Yeah. I can't do well, that, kid. We're or, kind of uh,
0: revolutionizing that whole aspect too, cutting middlemen out of that. And that's been going really good. Actually, we, we make more money touring now. The way that we do it yeah. than, than we ever did when we had, you know, <clears throat> when we'd sold a bunch
2: more records than we do. So Yeah, I was
1: going to ask you, like, what what's May up to and are you guys going to crowdfund?
2: and um, Well, me and Dave's experienced the crowdfunding. Um, Bittersweet. I think Dave had a, a pretty intense one. He asked for a lot of money uh, for the schematic thing and um, I think he ran into things that maybe he couldn't conceptualize of beforehand, right? So once you do it, like you run into these situations where you just you're surprised. Um, and obviously, I'm not going to speak for him. Uh, he doesn't seem, at the time, too interested in, in doing that again on a large scale level. Uh, myself, I've crowdfunded uh, my other uh, project, and I asked for like 3,500 bucks, um, mm-hmm. and my top donation point was 50 bucks. And it was like, I mean, I guess this is just me telling you about the fact that I have crowdfunded internet. So I I did want to have the experience and see what it was all about before I actually wrote a whole critique on it. Right. Um, And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to do like 10 bucks, 20 bucks, and 50 bucks. That's all I'm going to do. And it matches the value system that I'm used to, which is like if you go to a show, you know, you can maybe get a CD for 10 bucks, a shirt for 20. I don't know. I just try to mirror that kind of off that physical space experience yeah and what i did was with the 50 dollars donors i said um if this money if this record makes money right if i not only recoup but i start getting money back um then i will send you checks split up <laughs> based on and i said this and the thing is it is kind of humorous because obviously we know we're not gonna make money on this kind of stuff especially if you do it right. Um but it's about the
0: intent right
2: but I think there's a some, uh, symbolism to it that I think is important. Um, that right. if you say you're going to do this on this record, then you'll do it. Now, I had you know I started the campaign. It was through Indiegogo. Um, I did a fixed campaign. Um, I don't know why I did Indiegogo um, via Kickstarter. That was just a decision I made. Um, I think yeah. Dave had did had done Indiegogo, so he was said, yeah, "I can help you out." It's so, like, all right, I'll do Indiegogo. And I think it was PayPal called me and they said you can't now this is before this kind of legislation was passed about equity investment right
0: huh so yeah you can't they, send the money
2: yeah they said you can't promise people money back this is not an yeah. investment like this is a contribution or a donation um and you can, they said you can do what you want you just can't word it this way so yeah. i just the wording um and so i wouldn't i don't think i would have made my my mark if it wasn't for the May fan base i could rely on Right, but I did, and and, you know it was an okay experience for me, just because I didn't promise really anything at all aside from a record and shirt,
0: right? So Nate, Nate, and I are on uh, Patreon. You know, we do this 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 podcast, and people can support or whatever. It's coming out either way. But uh, I get on Patreon, and I see a lot of these um, because it's a different kind of ongoing, recurring crowdfunding thing. I see a lot of people who start Patreons, uh, and they're not doing. Anything. Mm-hmm. And they're not, they're not even like they're saying, hey, fund my life and watch me do adventures. <laughs> and I have no I have no fan base. I, I nobody follows me on social media. There's no there's nothing I offer. And that's kind of like what I'm seeing on on GoFundMe too. It's just like people every day, someone sends me a GoFundMe or I see to my feed, it's like, I'd like a new guitar. Go fund me. Yeah. And you know, <clears throat> And Nate, Nate and I and, and you, we're from, we're from the age where you, like, you fund your own projects. Yeah. yeah. And that's how you get fans. And you, you know, you buy that van and you go on that tour. Yeah. And you, you know, get in front of people and you press your CD and that's how it works. And you, yeah. you save up and you mow lawns all summer and you buy your drum set. Exactly. That's how it works. <laughs> but uh, but but there seems to be a shift in culture. And I don't know if it's just, you know, millennial generation or what sort of uh, psychosocial thing is going on. But... What would you say, and speaking of bands specifically, because I deal with a lot of people on uh, who are wanting to crowdfund. Maybe they see some of the success that I've had or, or the bands that I've worked with with BC Music. They, they're like, well, I want to do a crowdfund. Can you help me? Uh, and I usually have a, a, a list of things that I tell them. But what would you say? Like, when do you think it's a good time for a band to do a crowdfund of some sort? And then is there just a time where you just shouldn't? <laughs>
2: Um, I would say if a band asked me about crowdfunding, I would say, if you're going to do it, I would just say, don't, don't give, don't offer too much. Don't offer more than you can, than, than you can give back in in a reasonable amount of time. And I would say always do not the open funding, but the closed funding, never do like a a funding where you can still get the money if you don't meet your uh, price point, because um, right, you know, get into a situation where some, maybe someone donated one of the high amounts to something that you're going to have to now produce and make, and it's going to like skew up your budget. You know,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, like vinyl.
2: Yeah, I, I would say <laughs> um, always communicate why you're asking for what you're asking. I do think specifics in terms of that help. Um, right, but I mean, I think
1: don't ask for handwritten lyrics because that just takes forever.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, no. no. Any of the ex-
0: I always tell people uh, stay away from the experiential stuff, and maybe that's a little bit like what you're talking about—the whole parasocial relationship that you're exploiting uh, the experience. Like, go come hang out with us and play frisbee golf for five thousand bucks. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, hey, I'll do that. Yeah, play I will mean, I'll do golf it. all day long. I will do it, but no, I'll no. feel like I'll feel terrible.
2: <laughs> that's like that's a that's a specific point that me and my advisor when I was in these talked about, like that the difficulty in quantifying the value of music. Um, right, is the fact that it is an experiential good, right? You can you can pay for a ten dollars CD, but that CD has this kind of like immeasurable value in your life for years and years right. and years. You can pay seventy five bucks to see Ryan Adams with the understanding that he might. You know, depending on when you see him, he might be drunk. He might, you know, like, you know, you're going right. into a situation where you don't, you don't know, you, know you, you don't know what's going to happen, but it's right. this thing that's going to happen. You know, best case scenario, you get two hours of music that, and that's it, right? Yeah. So right. there's this kind of experiential side of, of music and art that is both enabling in terms of crowdfunding, but also kind of constrictive when you think about, How is how that aspect is explored. And I think with you hit on a big point. I I think that with crowdfunding, um, when you value these experiential goods in a a particular way, it's very presumptive, right? You're saying that our time is so valuable and this is how valuable it is. When at the very same time, you're asking them to fund something that you can't do on your own. Say, well, we need you, but we're going to charge you this much money to come have dinner with us. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, and so, so we did, we did that
0: once, uh, well, we've done that a couple times where we, we sold, a, a, a space needle dinner. So you okay. come to Seattle yeah. and we'll all go to the space needle and we film a video, which we put on our YouTube, <clears throat> like basically capturing the whole experience. We did two of them and I think it was like 1500 bucks or something like that to get it. But literally like we We go up there, we film this whole thing. We have like a four course meal, whatever they want to drink, whatever. And the bill comes out to uh, to well over a thousand bucks. <laughs> So it's not like we're it's not like we're profiting a ton. Like it's more just like we want to have a nice meal with you guys and have this cool experience, and then we'll also document it, and it'll be like forever in in video form. <laughs> and I feel less I feel less douchey about that because it's not just like you know we actually have some hard costs mm. um, to have an amazing meal. Nope. It's not just frisbee golf, which is you know free or. Uh, you know, or or go karts, which we did once, which was you know a lower cost. It was a little bit higher, but yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Uh, we're not we're not trying to charge people to have dinner with us. We're just trying to have a really nice dinner that you pay for. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, well, what's interesting about that particular situation is that introduced something I didn't, I've never thought of, right? Which is basically you're not really gaining much um, in terms of cost towards your project by offering this and what you're offering the fan is an experience that they do value right yeah maybe on our and on my end uh fandom shut out 1500 bucks for dinner with may that floors me you know because who knows if we're going to be in a good mood who knows we're going to be so like (laughs) like all that stuff i mean we're very weird sometimes and then (laughs) um but then like you say you put it on youtube like that becomes something that they take with them and I think that's like if Pearl Jam asks me to pay five hundred bucks or a thousand yeah. dollars to go on stage and play a song with them, right? Like that's yeah. something that costs Pearl Jam nothing. So in a yeah. sense, they should not ask for it. Um if they're right. using them on themselves, right? Charities are in story, but sure, sure. You no, know, but for me, that's one thousand dollars easily well spent if I can go <laughs> there and play with the evolution yeah. with Pearl Jam that's, like
0: that's free so, market.
2: So there's this thing you have to think about, and I, I think that on that end, when artists value something or maybe in a different way, or they need you know like versus this experience that the fan wants. And we have this one fan from Japan, and she's um, super cool. She hangs out, but she flies. You know, if we play in the States, she flies from Japan.
0: But what you're saying is that's kind of her prerogative. You're not asking.
2: Well, in that, that right? sense, yes, this is not in the crowdfunding vein of things. But all that to right. say that she's paying this money, and to her, it's entirely well spent. Well, to me, like, I'm not going to go across yeah. the, the ocean to see <laughs> yeah. you know, insert bands there.
1: When you're on the, you know, behind the curtain, Mr., you know, you. you you kind of go. The Wizard of Oz is sort of a joke. It's just, but when you're on the other side of that curtain, you just think it's the best thing ever. And so, yeah,
0: but you would love to, to 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 open that curtain and see that it's a joke too. I mean, that's kind of the the fun of it. When you, you know, when the stars are just like us, that that revelation is is almost worth the fan spending it. I think. Yeah. Just to realize that there's oh no, they take poops too, and they're boring, and they can't, you know they drink too much or whatever. I think I think one thing though
1: that I wanted to throw out is that no matter how much money you raise to crowdfund your album, it's never enough because
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: it all costs it all costs more than you ever thought it did. Yeah, and- I was just talking to Nate.
0: I was like the, the money it's the most money we've ever raised to do this new record. Uh we didn't ask for it, but it came and it's like I'm, I'm towards the end now and it's like dwindling. And I was just like 6,000 for t-shirts, 10,000 for vinyl. All, you know, it's all just like, and I'm starting to get stressed. So I totally, I totally relate to that. It's never enough. No matter what you're doing, if you're working on a project and you really care about the project, it's like, you're going to spend that money on it and trying to make sure it's good. And that's the, that's the one kind of, I think misnomer or, or misconception. I think from a lot of people, they see the money and they go, Oh my gosh, you must be rich.
2: Like, you, you know, well, yeah. my friends are like, yeah. just
0: use some of that crowdfund money, dude. Yeah, yeah.
1: No.
2: <laughs> when I was doing uh, the interviews for the for my thesis, I mean, there's one experience where, uh, or, or one artist was telling me that once a fan does donate a certain amount of money, and they have access to you personally, in the sense that they have access to your Facebook account or or, or profile or or what have you, um, does that relationship, the individual relationship with that fan, change because now? Do you feel obligated? Is this friendship yeah. now a commodity? And yeah. do you have to
0: reward yeah. the
2: friendship as if it is a commodity? So like I don't want to talk to this person right now. Right. But I feel obligated to. Yeah,
0: uh, we don't sell and that's the reason why we don't really sell access. I don't mm-hmm. think that's something that that is responsible to do, to sell access to your to your life. Because yeah, you're you're on the hook sort of long term.
2: I mean, I'm talking about in the sense that maybe they friended you you know, maybe your personal profile, it kind of split with your band persona. Right. So what right. that means is like, okay, well I have a profile and I'm Matt from classic crime, but I'm also Matt that is friends with my brother or family, you know, on, on this. Yeah. Profile as well, yeah. yeah. And so the profile is accessible. And so now you have this person all of a sudden, I am in you one night and you're just like, Oh, what? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk. Uh, so yeah, I th- and I,
0: sometimes I do feel obligated to respond to those, and yeah, sometimes not. It, it just depends on my mood, really. But it is awkward. I, yeah. I so
2: you you think of it in a different way. Um, right. uh, so yeah, I, I just think that you know you 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 enter into this kind of direct exchange, but it's also this kind of idea.
0: Yeah, it muddies up the relationship.
2: Communion.
1: I think we've all experienced that, though. Like, you know, like a fan has certain access to certain things and you're like, oh, that guy works for Nike. I can get free shoes. Or maybe if I talk to, you know what I mean? You kind (laughs) of think these things and you're like, I mean, we were that band that was like all the money went back into the band for so long. So it was like any kind of free sponsorship we could get Mm -hmm. was a big deal because we weren't making anything on top of the expenses. So it was like, we get
0: free cell phones or we get free clothes. (laughs) You we guys were, were so good at getting free stuff. Well, you got a, you got a free <laughs> bus. We got, well, that was MySpace. MySpace guys, have.
1: yeah, you still negotiated a free bus. Yeah, we got free cell phones. I had it. We had a couple of deals, but we were. I was ruthless about it. I was just like, I mean, that to me is like, that's. I, I get a raise. Someone paid my cell phone bill this month. That's right. awesome. And I think we sort of wore out our welcome at Myspace because I was hitting up Tom from Myspace all the time asking him, like, hey, can you hit up uh, this company? And <laughs> And he's like, dude, you guys are moochers, you know? <laughs> Reliant <laughs> K just started calling us Moochwood.
2: Like, Moochwood. Well, you, you mobilize these relationships in a different way.
1: It does raise weird lines, basically. You just have these weird relationships. It kind of becomes... Like are these my friends? Are they not?
0: And you know, I've been hit up on Facebook by fans, Sherwood fans too, and it's a little bit. I always lived by the policy that honesty and openness is better than like trying to be scarce with it. But yeah. I also, based on, because of my personality, I have no problem just not responding to people or saying no to people or saying goodbye. Like that's fine. But I, but I'm generally open to like people contacting me and emailing me, and I will. Ex- I will if I have the time. I will. Um, do a long back and forth sometimes over weeks with with somebody who i feel like i don't know maybe they there is a connection there (laughs) which is weird but but i'm also like totally fine just like not ever talking to them again after that so maybe i'm a sociopath i don't know you
2: know what's funny is that one of the the fans that uh did start uh, hitting me up on facebook um you know we have become kind of just like people that talk sometimes right so we'll talk about a lot of political stuff or how it messes me and it's like this thing that's developed into this kind of, you know, just uh relaxing kind of like, you know, virtual relationship yeah. where it's just so kind of fraught with these questions what and what are these the rules We're making that, them up. It kind of presidents
1: <laughs> well you know it's funny this, this this, could be another episode and I kind of wanted to do an episode on this of just like the hierarchy of friendships and the hierarchy of cool and who gets like
0: there's so many people you can hit up and they won't get back oh to yeah, yeah there's people I hit up that are way more popular <laughs> than me on social media yeah that I know personally that they won't, and they won't get. Back or to me, bands that so. we all went
1: on tour with, and then three tours later, they're huge. And you text them.
0: That's part of the reason why I have the conviction where I'm like, I get back to people. I don't. You're not smaller than me. I will talk. I'll argue with you on my Facebook comments. I will dignify you with taking offense to your stance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but my point is, is like we've all been on tour. With, we all have contacts in our phone from people that are like, you know, socially a little bit bigger than us. And every once in a while, we'll. I know that I've done this. I've texted them going, "I don't think I'm going to hear back from that. I don't think they're going to text me back because I'm not in the arena. I'm not cool yeah. anymore. I'm not in the scene, you know. Yeah. And I think I think that's some of this is like from the fans' perspective. They're they're just kind of out of touch, out of reach, and when you blur those lines, it's just always going to be weird.
2: You know, I uh, one of those people that I, I've been able to develop a relationship with. Um, is uh, Aaron from Me Without You, or the Me Without You guys in general. Um, And this is neither here nor there. I just saw them the other night. It's one of those things where I was able to kind of, you know, we played shows with those guys over the years. Um, We went to Europe with them, with uh, Coheed and Cambria back in like 2004 or five. And it's just one of those things where you, you know, this guy that's like super inspiring becomes this guy that's just like oh hey what's going on these kind of like uh perceptions we have you know and then you know like you said uh come, oh well now we're just hanging out and now this is this one thing that either kind of uh increases or and kind of like intensifies this kind of like admiration you have or it's like oh no they're kind of they're kind of jerks i don't i don't know if i like i I don't (laughs) hear their music the same way anymore um yeah so
0: you know. <laughs> yeah i ruined that for a lot of people i'm sure
2: <laughs> no uh, yeah like you know the other night i was like my buddy's like are you going to the show it's like oh man you know i don't i'm busy blah blah blah. but you know i i mean ricky kind of talk and hang out so i hit up ricky and all this stuff it's Just like man this is really weird because i love this band you yeah. it's like there's like super cool and super congenial and, and mike and all those guys are like super awesome you know and so it feels good, and it, it in that sense, like, your relationship and your appreciation for everything in that world intensifies, and it has this kind of, you know, oh, man, touring was so much fun those days, blah, blah, blah. Like, you kind of get into your mind space, but mm-hmm. then, you know, you remember you have two jobs and the kid, and you can <laughs> <Yeah>. find time <laughs> to do anything. Uh Yes. <laughs> reality sets in
1: yeah speaking of reality matt yeah you have yeah. filet mignon cooking and your wife might yell at you huh i
0: know i gotta I actually gotta go cook the filet mignon right now so i gotta jet but uh zach man thank you for your time super enlightening i was happy just to sit and hear you talk about crowdfunding All, a lot of stuff i never even yeah. thought about so i, I appreciate No, i'm glad that,
2: that, that uh that Nate hit me up i appreciate you guys having me on and obviously anytime i can talk about Something I worked on for how many months? I'm, I'm super stoked to just talk forever about it. What's your, uh, what's your,
0: like, can people get hit you up on Twitter and, and private message you and keep you <laughs> up? <with them? laughs>
2: yeah, for sure. I mean, my, uh, my profile on Facebook is just what it is at Garing, G H R I N G. My Twitter is Z Garing. So it's Z G E H R I N G. I'm on Instagram, yeah. uh, as the seven others, and that's the number seven, the seven others. Um, so yeah, and you, you know, have your side project, sweet. Demons, right? Yeah, I got that. Uh, we're actually almost done recording. Uh, you know, May's here and there. We're, we're doing stuff, but from week to week, just like with with these guys around here, I'm doing Demons, and Mark Paget is going to mix the the new record we have. So, uh, Mark Paget was the bass player in May. He engineered a lot of the stuff. Um, so yeah, that's going on. So obviously, anyone wants to, please take a listen to that. We have an EP out on Spartan Records. Um, John Frage Frage yeah a couple years ago um, now and um, so now we're working towards something else Um, so yeah uh, I'm encouraging people to say if they want to hit me up and say hi please do
0: well thank you Zach man that's awesome I respect the hustle too yeah that's good
2: (laughs) we all have it obviously (laughs) awesome thank you guys so much guys I appreciate it yeah
1: Yeah. we'll let you know when it comes out
2: awesome very cool All
1: right, man have a good night
2: bye 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 bye